Good morning. My name is Sid Page, and I've been coming from TCC as long as TCC has existed. The scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, and I'm reading from the NIV translation. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Sid. Well, what a morning. Um, For those of you who have attended TCC in uh, pre-pandemic times, it was probably a familiar aroma when you walked in this morning. I made my way to the kitchen and had a a little sampling of some ham that I haven't had in two years, three months, and six days. Um, And uh, uh, looking forward to our time together. Something else was going on this morning, you may know, either through personal connection or through my weekly email yesterday, that Pastor Adam is in Winnipeg running a marathon. I don't know if you have any relatives in Winnipeg, but it's been extremely hot in Winnipeg. And so they started at uh, 6 o'clock our time, Adam got halfway through, was doing well, just past the 13.1 mile mark, I texted him a word of encouragement. And he says, thanks, they just canceled it because of the heat. And, uh, oh man, we all kind of felt that disappointment as well. Um, But Adam wasn't going to be deterred. (laughs) So he kept going and we were in a little chat and we were joking that he was out running race marshals who were trying to get him off the course back to the finish line. And he did finish just before uh, 10 a.m. our time. So congratulations to Adam on something that he had his heart set on, no doubt. Um, The other thing that you should know is that we have a very special guest with us this morning. And uh, um, (laughs) I don't know, I have no explanation why I'm feeling the way I am right now, but uh, Deanna McCarr is here. Why don't you stand, Deanna? 
Deanna arrived from Ukraine yesterday, and Dave and Marlis, why don't you stand as well? Um, they're being hosted by Dave and Marlis, a family in our congregation. I see Sarah, you're standing, sitting next to her. You can stand as well. Um, Sarah is on the refugee support team as well. And um, Deanna is not much older than, than Sarah. She's 20 years old. And um, you may be seated. I'm going to just say a few more words. But um, <clears throat> as a father today, <laughs> I can't imagine sending my 22-year-old daughter across the, the world, literally, um, to seek safety in, within the arms of total strangers. And um, our understanding is that her dad, Vladimir, is watching from the Ukraine this morning as well. And so we say hello, <laughs> and um, we love you, and we love your daughter, and we're going to take good care of her for you. Um, let's just pray together. Father, we just pray blessing over the Makar family. We pray for mom and younger sister, Annaline. Pray for Vladimir, her dad. And pray that in this time of separation, in this time of waiting, in a time of anxiety, in a time of stress and conflict, we pray that you would be their peace, that you would comfort them <clears throat> knowing that there are believers who open their hearts and their homes <clears throat> to love well. And so I pray blessing on Dave and Marlis and the Owen family as they care for Deanna as if she were their own. And so bless them and keep them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in a world that is, as you know, fairly chaotic these days, uh, unstable, we hear about the wars. I read uh, an article this week of some that are predicting this conflict to go on for years. We know of recent school shootings. We're familiar with economic uncertainty and racial conflict, political posturing. And in the midst of all of that, the question that I ask is, how does the church offer hope and stability to a world that is shaking? It's been said that the, the church is the hope of the world. And I believe that is only partly true. Now, maybe it's just words and it's semantics, but... The church is only the hope of the world insofar as it, is, has, as it has been entrusted with the life-changing, life-transforming message of Jesus Christ, because Jesus alone is the real hope of the world. We've been looking to the book of Acts to better understand the church. Acts, as you probably know, is the historical record of the early church. It records the start of the church, a church that was then set in motion, a church where Jesus had said to them, everything that I began to do, you will continue to do. And so I invite you to take your Bibles if you have them. Uh, perhaps you have a hard copy. There are some Bibles on the usher's cabinets by each of the doors. If you'd like to help yourself to one of those, you can follow along, or maybe you do have a smartphone. And I do want us just to pay attention to um, a pretty significant portion of, of Acts this morning. Well, Acts opened as, with the appearance of the risen Jesus. Jesus who commanded his followers to be his witnesses. Jesus who instructed his followers to wait in Jerusalem, to wait there until the promised Holy Spirit would come. 
And while they were waiting, they prayed together. They stayed together. They, they sought wisdom from God's word. They chose to be obedient and faithful. And God honored their faithfulness and delivered on his promise. And as we move into Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit then comes on them in power, breaking down racial and ethnic boundaries and releasing them into ministry and mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter's first speech was all about the gospel. Pastor Adam covered this so well in his message last week. But when everything else is stripped away, there is a good news that endures. This gospel proclamation resonated with the crowd on that day. And in Acts 2 verse 41, Luke makes this astonishing statement. Those who accepted his message were baptized because he had challenged them. What do we do? They said, repent and be baptized. And so those who accepted that message, they turned in repentance and they were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That day. You just imagine this explosive growth from these 120 that had gathered in the upper room to then over 3,000 giving their lives to Jesus Christ. As a result, this church is beautifully described at the end of Acts chapter 2. This church that has this incredible DNA, a community that's centered on Jesus, committed to learning about Jesus. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It was a community committed to worship, responding to Jesus in thanksgiving and praise. And everyone was filled with awe. They continued to pray together and praise together. It was a community that served. They, they treated others in the way that they had been treated. They, they responded to needs as they arose. Fourthly, it was a community of unity and fellowship, experiencing the unity of this Spirit. And lastly, it was a community of mission. They were proclaiming, living out the good news. And yes, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, the early church was this good and beautiful community, a church that was set in motion and was trending up and to the right. And the life and witness of the church in this community was so attractive. It, it communicated so much hope. It truly was light in a dark world, and people wanted to be a part of it. Things were going so well, and I'm sure the leadership, Peter and John and others, were greatly encouraged by what God was doing in their midst. But as so often is the case, good times bring trying times. And for all of the good that was happening, we now, as we move into chapter 3 and 4 and beyond, we begin to see the first encounters with opposition that would soon lead to all-out persecution. So just two main points today um, with lots of subpoints underneath them. So here we go. The church is set in motion by bold witness. By bold witness. In the passage that Sid read for us, Peter and John are first thrown into jail, and then the next day they're interrogated. And the religious authorities are upset because they fear the implications of what was happening, what everyone was talking about. We read there that the high priest was there, 
the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees, this ruling class that didn't believe in the resurrection. And guess what Peter was preaching? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now to understand why the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law were so triggered by this, we have to go back to chapter 3 to see what happened there. And I see three aspects of what, it, what is required to be a bold witness. And the first of this is just a bold faith. In chapters 3, verses 1 to 10, Luke records the healing of a lame beggar. A lame beggar obviously couldn't walk, and he was born that way. And now he's 40 years old. It's clear that he survived for 40 years, day after day, by being carried to the temple courts, where there he would beg for money to support himself. And along came Peter and John. They're going to the temple in the afternoon to pray, and the lame beggar asks them if they can spare some change. Peter and John have to actually intentionally get his attention. And I was trying to picture this in my mind, and I, and I can just see this man uh, sitting on the ground. Maybe he had a mat under him, and he's just, everybody that's passing by, he's like, hey, you got some change? Hey, do you have some change? Hey, can you spare some change? And he's just looking around. He, he, he's probably had so many people just walk by him and ignore him that he just was intent on asking every single person. But Peter and John, they stop, and they look him in the eye and say, hey, look at us. And you get They get his attention. And Peter says this. He says, silver or gold I do not have. I don't have any money to give you. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. See, Peter had bold faith. It was something that he could actually give to this lame man. And a miracle takes place. Peter extends a hand, helps him to his feet, and instantly the man is healed. The reaction of the man who was healed is understandable and expected. It says that he's walking and jumping and praising God. I mean, can you imagine? For 40 years, he's never felt the weight of his own body on his feet. And he gets up. And all I can picture is like maybe he's walked along and and it says jumping. He's probably clicking his heels together or something like, man, this is unbelievable. And he's praising God. He's raising a hallelujah. And this obviously catches the attention of all the people in the area. There's this commotion going on, no doubt. They knew this man well. They probably saw him every day. Either he was being carried there, or he was sitting there unable to get up. They probably had given him some money in the past. And so they clearly recognized this as a miracle. And so in verse 10, it says that they, the onlookers, were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. See, I believe there are times when you and I are called to exercise bold faith. Bold faith is different than demanding faith. I believe that God still heals today. But it is a mystery to me why sometimes he heals and other times he doesn't. And why sometimes healing is instantaneous 
like it was here in the story. And other times it might be over time. I believe that God can use medical intervention to bring healing. But the point is that there's an invitation to us here to pray, to ask boldly, but never to demand. We exercise the faith given to us, and we pray in the name of Jesus in the same way that Peter and John did. We pray, that's our part, and we leave the healing to God. That's his part alone. He's the one that heals, not us. We just pray with love and simplicity in the name of Jesus. It's a great privilege for me, for our staff, for our elder team, to be able to pray with people who need healing in their lives. And we know that in some instances, people have been healed. And in others, they have not yet been healed. But that's not the point. The point is that we do our part in being faithful to express our faith and our belief in a God who we believe is able to heal. But it's His will, not ours, that we always pray in. I think in general, there are times when maybe we're too cautious, unwilling to take the risk, because we think, well, what if God doesn't heal? But the point is, there's really no harm in asking. And we can ask confidently, even courageously, and then simply leave it up to God as to how He will respond. And as you follow this narrative, I see a very interesting development here. Peter, now upon the healing of the lame man, he doesn't now pull, we're onto something here, and organize a healing ministry. He doesn't put up a sandwich board uh, advertising a healing service. And in so many ways, the emphasis moves very quickly away from the healing because the emphasis is on Jesus. And friends, ultimately, I believe that is the greatest miracle, is when someone who was once far from God puts their faith and trust in Jesus and is healed, is healed of their sin, forgiven, cleansed, saved. And that's where Peter goes. The second aspect of a bold witness is bold preaching. You see, there's no doubt that the healing of the lame man caught the attention of all those in the area. The commotion caused quite the stir. And as the crowd gathers around, Peter seizes the opportunity to make yet another speech. And he starts with asking a great question. He asks this, fellow Israelites, chapter 3, verse 12. Why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? You see, Peter makes sure that they realize that it wasn't Peter and John that healed the man. And then he goes on and preaches an incredibly Christ-centered sermon. He had every opportunity to stay focused on the healing. Instead, he draws their attention to Jesus. He connects him with the Old Testament. He connects with his Jewish audience by making it clear that Jesus was the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And he goes on and uses a variety of names for Jesus. He says he's God's servant. He says he's the Holy One, the Righteous One, the author of life, a prophet like Moses. He speaks truth, and he makes it clear to them 
that they, in fact, were the ones that dishonored Jesus while God the Father had honored him. He says, you, he doesn't mince words here, he goes, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him. You asked that a murderer be released. You killed the author of life. You, he says, acted in ignorance. Not exactly seeker-sensitive, is it? But God raised him from the dead. Because God had a plan. And so again, we see this scenario of the bad news followed by the good news. The bad news is that our sin has separated us from God. The good news is is that Jesus died to make a way possible for us to have a relationship with God. And so Peter then calls for a response. Similarly to his first speech, he says, repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God. How do you respond when you hear those words? Is it something that turns you off, upsets you, angers you? Do you realize that it's an invitation from God to have a relationship? To turn from your way of doing things to turn to God, to God's way of doing things. And Peter does then goes on to outline three promises or blessings that they would receive if they repent and turn to God. He says, first of all, so that your sins may be wiped out. That your sins may be wiped out. What a graphic image, isn't it? Uh, the, the, The word really suggests that it was washed off that their, their sins were erased, their sins were obliterated. Yeah, I have this image of a dry erase marker on the, cho- on the board, every sin written on there, and, and, and Jesus just comes along and he just wipes it off. That's a promise and a blessing when we turn to God. Secondly, he says, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And again there, the word translated refreshing can mean rest or relief or respite or in the way that most translations have it, refreshing. A refreshing comes. You know when we're weighed down with with sin, we're feeling maybe a little guilty and some shame, we're reminded that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And our spirits are refreshed. And thirdly, another promise is, so that he may send the Messiah. And so there's a future focus here. Peter points ahead to a time when God will ultimately restore everything. And so this bold witness, this demonstrated by this bold preaching, ultimately has two effects. One, it disturbs the religious authorities, which ultimately results in persecution. But secondly, it also results in many believing. So in chapter 4, verse 4, this is a verse that was read for us. It says that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. 
You see, what happened is this, this exponential growth of the church, they couldn't even count everybody anymore. So they just counted by households. They counted the men and figured that, you know, there's women and children that are part of that. <coughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. So very cl- clearly, you see this, uh, that, that, that people were putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's clear that the persecution of Peter and John didn't in any way hinder the gospel. While we don't experience this in Canada, persecution against Christians is a reality for 260 plus million Christians around the world. In 2019, 2,983 Christians were killed for faith-related reasons. That means on average, eight Christians were killed every day for their faith in 2019. Additionally, 3,711 churches were detained without trial, and 9,488 churches or Christian buildings were attacked. Those numbers are from an organization called Open Doors that track these kind of statistics. The reality of dying for your faith is a horrific reality for millions of Christians around the world. And yet, in some of these countries, Christianity is growing. That message of forgiveness, of refreshment, of restoration, is, in fact, hard to resist. Thirdly, a bold witness requires a bold attitude. A bold attitude. I want to be clear that this should not be confused with being obnoxious. Again, looking to the example of Peter, picture the scene. They're thrown in jail overnight. The next day, they're brought before the Sanhedrin, this council of rulers and elders and teachers of the law. The high priest and members of the high priest family are there. In fact, many of the same people that put Jesus on trial... And we know how that worked out. And so did Peter and John. And I think that would have been pretty fresh in their minds. The mock trial, the false accusations. And now they are being called to give an account. And Peter here had a choice. I believe he could have responded in all sorts of inappropriate ways. And maybe in his own strength, he probably would have rolled his eyes, expressed some sarcasm, used some offensive words. But instead, we read in chapter 4, verse 8, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this made a world of difference in his attitude. He still speaks boldly. He still speaks truthfully. He still speaks directly. But now the Holy Spirit is at work in his life and he speaks with love and with joy and with peace and with gentleness. And he considers, he says to them, the healing of the lame man was in fact an act of kindness. And he reiterates that the healing was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And again, Peter moves easily away from healing to salvation. 
And he makes this clear statement about salvation in chapter uh, 4, verse 12 now. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This has echoes of Jesus' own words in John 14, verse 6, when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And friends, that statement is offensive in our culture because they see it as narrow-minded. But in declaring this truth, we need to be careful then to not be offensive ourselves. And it's clear that from the text that Peter and John, they were actually considered courageous by this assembly, by this council. I see, if they had been obnoxious about their faith, I think the outcome may have been entirely different. And they're basically released with a warning. Because the council was in a quandary. They couldn't deny the healing of the lame man. And they heard Peter and John say that how they had healed, how he had been healed in the name of Jesus Christ. And so they just send him off and say, you know what, listen, do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Well, not to be intimidated, look at how they responded, verse 19, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Friends, think again, as I pointed to this a few times over the last few weeks, about the transformation of Peter. Some 60 days earlier, he denied even knowing Jesus. But now, here he is, confident, courageous, bold. How? Because the Spirit of God came and filled him and continued to fill him. And it's this same Spirit that comes and fills us. That gives us courage to stand for our faith. The Spirit gives us words to speak when we don't know what to say. And we, like Peter and John, ordinary men and women, are transformed because we had an encounter with Jesus. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I mean, by looking at the example of Peter and John, it causes me to consider my own witness. Am I a bold witness? Marked by a bold faith? bold preaching or proclamation of the truth, all coupled with a bold, spirit-filled attitude. But the church is not just set in motion by bold witness. It is also set in motion by bold prayer, by bold prayer. So Peter and John, they're released. I mean, there was no denying the miracle of the healing that had taken place. All the people were talking about it, and they were praising God for what happened. But look at what they did then. Verse 23, Peter and John went back to their own people and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And how did the people respond? Verse 24, they raised their voices together in prayer 
to God. Pretty much immediately, they turned to God in prayer. Prayer was the early church's go-to. Prayer was what drew them together in fellowship. And how they pray here in chapter 4, I think, is instructive. And I want us to just look at it so that we can learn from it. Notice, if you have your Bibles open, that they start with acknowledging the sovereignty of God. They say, Sovereign Lord. And so when we pray, we should begin by acknowledging the sovereignty of God. What is the sovereignty of God? It's recognizing that God is in control, that He is power, that He is Lord, that He is master. He reigns and He rules. And by declaring that, we acknowledge and submit and surrender because He's Lord and we're not. In other words, He is able. I mean, if we didn't think he was able to answer our prayers, why would we pray? But like healing prayer, we do so in submission to his ultimate authority. I like what John Stott wrote about this title, Sovereign Lord. He says this, The Sanhedrin might utter warnings, threats, and prohibitions, and try to silence the church. But their authority, that is the Sanhedrin's authority, was subject to a higher authority still. And the edicts of men cannot overturn the decrees of God. And he goes on to observe that beyond the name for God they use, before any other requests are made, they fill their minds and thoughts of the divine sovereignty. I use a little one-page I guess, template for my quiet times. And right at the top, I have a quote by Andrew Murray that is a daily reminder for me. And it just goes like this. Each time before you intercede, be quiet first. Okay, there's the silence. And worship God in his glory. Think of what he can do and how he delights to hear the prayers of his redeemed people. Think of your place and privilege in Christ and expect great things. I fill my mind with thoughts of the divine sovereignty of God. And what are those thoughts? There are three truths that we find here in the text. Number one, he is the God of creation. He says here, you made the heavens and the sea and everything in them. It reminds me of Psalm 121 when the, the psalmist says, where does my help come from? And he says, my help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. So he's the God of creation. He is the God of revelation. It says you spoke by the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, he is the God of history. Verses 27 and 28, they're just absolutely incredible verses. Chapter 4. Listen to what, what, what Peter prays here. He says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Listen to this. They did, that is these ruling authorities, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They were serving under God's authority. And so now with their mind filled with the thoughts of God, they get to the heart of their prayer, and there's three requests. Number one, they say, consider their threats. 
Consider their threats. Again, I appreciate what John Stott says about this. He says, it was not a prayer that their threats would fall under divine judgment, right? He didn't say, you know, rain down fire from heaven on these evil people. Not even that they would remain unfulfilled so that the church would be be preserved in peace and safety, but only that God would consider them, would bear them in mind. Just consider their request, God. Consider their threat, sorry, as a request. Secondly, they pray, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. In other words, God, help us not to be afraid of the threats of the council. Help us to have a bold witness that is declared through a bold faith. Bold preaching. Bold attitude. And then lastly, they pray, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through your name of your ho- through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Again, it's not a prayer for vengeance. It's not a prayer for getting even, but for miracles. That God would be merciful to them. You have to see what happens next, and I close with this. Because in response to their humble God-directed prayers, The first result is that the place was shaken. Can you imagine? This physical manifestation is like, ah! (laughs) One commentator says, but that made them the more unshaken. You see, when we stand in God's love and when we stand in His grace and His mercy, we're not shaken. Even though everything else around us might be. Secondly, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We see this again and again throughout Acts. And then in response to their specific request earlier to enable their servants to speak your word with great boldness, guess what? They spoke the word of God boldly because that was an answer to prayer. Friends, the real impact of a church that is set in motion that will truly make a difference in this world, that will bring hope to a world that is shaking, is when you couple together bold witness and bold prayer. And my prayer is that that would be true for us, true of TCC. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this, just these, these dramatic scenes in the book of Acts. from which we can mine the depths of your word and we can learn so much. We can be in, just have this incredible encounter with your spirit as we understand that you call us into places, sometimes on our streets, sometimes at our place of work, sometimes in our school, sometimes at a Christian camp, to be people who have bold faith, who will boldly proclaim the truth of Jesus and who will be bold in a spirit-filled way, trusting you for incredible results as they, we come to you in bold prayer. And so, Father, may we today make this declaration of people who will follow you, who will follow your spirit, and that we will speak truth 
and we will pray for the opportunity to do so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.